E-S-N-Y. March Madness. Very excited this week. <laughs> I, I'm very excited as well. Um, hate to admit that I'm not as up to date on my college basketball teams as I should be. Um, as a betting man, Chip, I'm, I'm sure you you have a little bit better knowledge of, of me in that situation. So I'll probably be leaning on you heavy for some picks uh, before I set my bracket up. But hmm. I did catch the tail end of the whole bracketology show yesterday. So I was interested to see some of the number one seeds. Um, not to go too far into it, but a team I really like is Illinois, man. I don't know, that that kid, Io, uh, he's, he's- They're playing well at the right time. They, they look amazing. I, I'm not sure anyone can beat Gonzaga, but yeah. they're, they're incredible. But yeah, Illinois is incredible too. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's gonna be super interesting too is um, I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but last year, well, last year we didn't have a, a tournament, so that kind of robbed us. But I'm, I'm just happy that the best player, um, not necessarily, I mean, like at least what's going to be the undoubted number one pick in the draft, Cade Cunningham, we're going to get to see him. Yeah. Like that to me, that that's, that's pretty big. Um, yeah. But putting all that aside, um, as is always with our show, um, you know, we are talking hoops, of course. And uh, the topic tonight, there's a couple of different topics, but anyone who has been listening to the show knows that a while back, I forget exactly what number the episode was, it might have been back in the 50s or so, um, we started an analytics-based conversation. Um, Chip and I, as, as people who incorporate analytics into our writing, are always trying to gain a better understanding of the metrics that we use to determine evaluation for players, player fit, uh, salaries. It's, it's a huge part in today's game. Uh, so along with that, some sh- Chicago Bulls talk, um, maybe a little Tom Thibodeau talk will sneak in there as well. We're very pumped to have a special guest on the show tonight. Uh, the Playgrounders, one of the Playgrounders featured um, writers, Andrew Lawler. Andrew, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And so uh, the place we're going to start first is with the Chicago Bulls. We talked a little bit before we started recording that you have some very fond memories of Tom Thibodeau. This is the team that you support, that you grew up rooting for. If you could take us behind the curtain a little bit um, in terms of just the beginning and, and genesis of your fandom, maybe sharing some, some memories of those great Bulls teams, um, please do so. Yeah, yeah, so... I mean, I'm from Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. And I, you know, I remember like the Luol Deng baby bulls that era a little bit, but really where I first became a fan was with the Tibbs bulls with Derrick Rose. Um, I loved Derrick Rose, loved the way that team played. I was really pumped when they were playing the Cavs and was really, really upset when, when Derek tore his ACL, which was a sad memory, but you know, then every, the way that everybody like bonded over that, I don't know. It was a lot of fun. Like I was in high school at the time and it was, it was, it was kind of, I mean, it was sad, but it was good that, you know, we all come to school and we're all sad about it and we all talked about it. And I like, I've always liked how sports unite people. Mm. Uh, and that was, you know, we didn't actually end up beating LeBron at that time but we were united in our own way and that was a really good memory for me and um chip i'm sure you'll remember this one but i think my favorite bulls memory and like and this is probably not their most impressive playoff series win by any means at all but i just remember i and i wasn't so much shocked because i remember going into it i felt like the bulls were gonna win 
But that when they took the Brooklyn Nets to seven games and then beat them on their own home court, and I'm pretty sure they had a ton of injuries. I think – I forget which knee injury that was for Rose, but I'm pretty sure he had missed the majority of the season already. They had some other big players out as well. But, Andrew, I don't know if you remember that one, but that that to me is like a classic – Tom Thibodeau coach team like it doesn't matter who's out he continues to get the best out of the players around him and I think they even had I forget whether it was Nate Robinson who was the point guard that team like they had Nate Robinson playing like big minutes and playing well in the playoffs like that to me is so wild but that was like a classic you could you could guarantee that type of Bulls team regardless of who they had on the roster just making life really difficult for you. Yeah, and, and Jimmy Butler was the epitome of that. Um, we all still love Jimmy Butler here. And really, just like, that's a Tibbs guy. And it, it was really a really fun team to watch. Yeah, no, no, no question about that for sure. Um, as we kind of move into the, the conversation about analytics, Uh, You know, I think two of my favorite articles that you've written for the Playgrounder were uh, the the article that featured some of the predicted predictive uh, three point shooting from the transition from college to the pro ranks. um, Also kind of uh, dispelling the notion of of any home court advantage this year, obviously due to the lack of fans in arenas. Um, You know, your writing generally has a very heavily heavily based in analytics where did that interest start for you um and and you know what what what's kind of drawn you to that piece of MBA yeah so I will say that actually originally started in baseball um I was a huge baseball fan as a kid it was the sport I played growing up um and like Moneyball had come out when I was a kid and and I was really into that and I was like this is the way I've always loved sports. This is like, this is the way I can get into sports. Cause you know, I was always good at math in school and the, the way they described Moneyball made a lot of sense to me. Um, I wasn't that young, I was probably in high school, but um, that was a way of thinking that really appealed to me. And, I, and then as I fell more in love with basketball um, through the Bulls when I was in high school and then through I started playing a lot of pickup when I was in college. I got way more into basketball and now I'm a much bigger basketball fan than a baseball fan, but the love of the numbers and I studied computer science in college. So that stuff is still around within me. Um, and so I wanted it to apply to my favorite sport. You said you uh, like Moneyball. Do you like the book better or the movie? Uh, I think. I think they both have their pluses. I when I'm when I'm talking about what made me fall in love, I am talking about the book. Um, yeah, okay, more, yeah. It was more math heavy, but I love the movie too. Um, love a good Brad Pitt performance. Yeah, I like the book a lot. I think the the book. I mean, the book focuses on Bill James a lot, so yeah. it's it's interesting to read about him. And they, I think they briefly mention him at the end of the movie, right? Like yeah. the the Red Sox owner touches on him a little bit, but. Yeah, I uh, I wanted to ask you obviously a little bit about analytics. I, I we talk uh, some about it on the show. Uh, mostly we talk about cleaning the glass. Yeah, that's like the the number one side I feel like. But I, I just as someone who uses analytics a lot in your writing, I wanted to ask you what sites or what metrics you tend to rely on more than anyone else. Cleaning the glass also. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a great resource. I I think it is really, really good. The stats they do are really good. They have, um, they provide good context. I like that they remove the heaves and garbage time. And I also really like how, like when I was first getting into NBA analytics, I signed up for it. And the guy who runs it, Ben Falk, like he sends an email to you. And I responded with a couple of questions and he got back to me, which was really cool. Um, And that was really helpful information. Um, he pointed me to transition numbers with with players on and off specifically to Tristan Thompson. Um, and I, I thought that was a really good thing to learn from. And um, so I'll 
always support that site because I think it was really nice of him to do that. What, um, you know, when it comes to kind of catch-all analytics and we're looking at, you know, evaluating players, um, we've talked with some people before about the differences between uh, PER, player impact plus minus, box plus minus, Raptor. Um, you know, we know that there's always going to be some shortcomings when you're trying to find one statistic that um, really kind of captures everything that a player does, both positive and negative on the court. But of the ones that I just mentioned, do you have a preference um, for any of those specifically or, or maybe ones that I haven't mentioned? So I think, I think the most useful way for the, uh, to use those is to just look at all of them. Um, so all of those, I also do look at, um, I think it's called like TPM true plus minus. Um, but there was, so uh, I don't know if you know him, there's a guy on Twitter named Owen Phillips who has a newsletter on analytics that I, I subscribe to. And he, which is a really good newsletter because um, it also gives you like coding tutorials on how to do it. Um, but he has a table in there where he just goes through all of the, all of the, those ones you just mentioned, but then he just displays them all together in one place for all the players. So then, you know, cause usually like you want somebody, you just want somebody who's strong in all of the metrics. I, I know I'm a Bulls fan, so I know I've looked at these for Zach Levine a lot and there's usually a couple that don't, don't look so fondly on him usually because of his defense. But most of them do, so I just look at them and I, I don't worry about the one specifically that's not so great because I think on the whole, it's pretty positive for him. You brought up defense. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I think the defensive metrics are pretty divisive on NBA Twitter. And uh, as someone who knows a lot more about it than us, I, how do you view defensive metrics like defensive wind shares, defensive blocks plus box plus minus because some people say basically to take it as with a complete grain of salt and so I wanted to hear what you have to say about it I am definitely on the side of take it with a complete grain of salt I think you really need the like really detailed tracking information and most of that's not really available in these kind of stats Um, especially the ones that are like defensive box plus minus is going off your box scores that's like almost entirely based on if you got block shots and steals and that's not, that doesn't always mean you're a good defender or a bad defender either way. Um, and then the other one that I don't like is the defensive rating. Um, Cause that's really a team stat and a lot of people use it like an individual stat. Um, your defensive rating can be very bad if you play with bad defenders, even if you are a good defender yourself. Russell Westbrook always has a very high or always had a very high defensive box plus minus. I'm not sure what it is this year, but his box plus minus was always very high. I know that. And I think James Harden used to have a very high one too. But like you said, box, it steals. They add all that up, but it is misleading. That's why I always was surprised by that because you'd look like uh, ESPN real plus minus. You'd look like, and it'd be like defensive real plus minus and there'd be guys up at the top and you'd be like, oh, there's like, uh, I don't know, Robert Covington is up there or someone like that. And then you'd be shocked by like the next guy that you saw. It'd just be surprising. The defensive numbers would always be surprising. The offense would never surprise you, but the defensive guys would always be very surprising. Yeah, that that always happens. I do think it is something where you can, if you look at all of them and somebody's good in all of them, that's generally, that person's generally not a surprise, but but yeah, I think there are a lot of problems mm-hmm. with the publicly available defensive metrics. Mm-hmm. What about the the play type data that like the synergy data? Uh, how do you view that? Like the the play the player is in like uh, the this the seventy third percentile, and that's that's very good. How do you uh, view that type of data? Um. So do you mean like the play type, like? They're oh, play type. Like, yeah, sorry. As the pick and roll ball handler, the player is in the 73rd percentile. Yeah, so I use it. Um, I do think it's important to keep a context in it. Um, mm-hmm. One is you want, you want to look at the volume and the points per possession. 
they're in the 73rd percentile of as a pick and roll ball handler, but they're never doing it. Mm-hmm. Not really that valuable. Um, as, as opposed to somebody who is in a high percentile, but is doing it all the time. Um, and then for some of those on defense, also you, you want to look at um, like how relevant is this? I guess sometimes there's guys who, who are good, who do score well in the um, isolation defense, like one-on-one defense. But if you watch the film, they are, are not great defenders because of other situations. Right. right. So I, I feel I like feel the like, I feel like the office gif, the Michael thing where he's saying like explain this to me like I'm five. Is that what he's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that actually is a really good transition to my next question. Cause I was just gonna ask Andrew, um, besides yourself, of course, um, who are some of the you know professional writers out there that you really think uh both use analytics in um in the way they they discuss basketball and explain those analytics in a way that makes sense, you know, to the average fan or the casual fan. Who are who are some writers that you you know are really impressed with the way they kind of um, um, mix analytics in their writing? Yeah. So, um, it, well, I guess there's a lot. Like on the national level. I mean, the guy I'm trying to model after is Zach Lowe. Always have admired the way he does it. I think he's like perfect at blending analytics in a in a way that everybody can understand. But he's clearly got a great basketball mind. But um, on a more like, if you're looking for somebody to follow um, uh, with a lower profile, um, Tom Bessine on Twitter, um, I he puts out really really good data viz. Um, and I've learned a lot from his stuff. Owen Phillips, the guy I mentioned earlier, um, also has and also has really good looking data visualization stuff and good points that he makes on it. Um, and then uh, the guy, it's at Crumpled Jumper, who's on uh, the Nylon Calculus for Fan Sided. He he does really good stuff too. I've always liked his stuff. Um, I, I referenced briefly the, um, the article you wrote for the Playgrounder in which mm-hmm. you kind of predicted some of the um, three-point shooting at the pro level from, from some of the players from last year's draft class. And as Knicks fans, it, you know I'm pretty pumped about Emmanuel Quickly, uh, who you had talked about. You know, I think 37.5 was his predicted uh, three-point percentage. I think he's actually pretty close to that, if not like exactly right at that. Um, you also predicted that, you know, Obi Toppin would struggle a little bit as well. I think he's, I think you had him at around 33% and I think he's at 31% right now or, or something like that, or I might have those numbers flipped. Uh, what was, where did you come up with that idea? I know just in, in reading the article, obviously I don't, I don't have a great understanding of analytics, but um, it sounded like the basis for the formula was a tree-based random forest model. How is, how is that something that um, you'd come up with or you had seen used before? And um, can we expect the same type of article from you, um, you know, prior to this year's upcoming draft? Yeah. So the reason I wanted to do it was because I wanted to try predictive modeling. Um, and predicting three-point shooting is something that would be incredibly valuable and also something that you could do without tracking data, really, um, with with just the information available on college basketball. It would be better with tracking data, but you can, you can build a decent enough model with just three-point percentage and free-throw percentage. Um, so that's why I wanted to do it. I had been just looking around the internet for different types of predictive models. I did, I've released two versions of that article and the first one was with just a, um, was, was with a more a linear regression model, which is based on a like a Y equals MX plus B line basically. Um, and then the random forest was the second one, which is more complicated um, in terms of understanding. You In both cases, you just put inputs into a computer program and it, something out but that one is a bit more complicated but I had 
been reading up on types of predictive modeling. So that's where I found it. And, um, you know, just to go back to you, you also mentioned Zach Levine before. And, you know, I know like Chip and I, and I know Chip actually wrote a really good article about Zach. And I want to say it was over the summer in terms of how his playmaking had, had improved. And Zach Levine, because of his, his ties to Tom Thibodeau, um, has been rumored as somebody that the Knicks might have interest in trading for, you know, we have no idea whether the Bulls would even entertain a, a thought like that. But um, you, you talked about, you know, defensive metrics not being great in, in terms of evaluating players. With Zach specifically, um, where do you think his defense stands now? Um, and are you a, a fan of him as a player? Or do you think that he, you know, kind of leans more towards the sides of, you know, more of an, no, I don't want to say an empty stats guy, but a guy that, that puts up numbers, but doesn't necessarily leads to wins. I'm a fan of him as a player. I think, I mean, obviously his skills lean offense more, than, but I, I think he is a truly gifted offensive player. He like, when you watch Bulls games, he like, truly blows me away with like he's hitting step back threes with guys in his face I mean it's something that we've seen for years from Damian Lillard somebody like that um can score with with just about anybody and the the playmaking he's made strides but I mean he's not a point guard but it's fine um on defense I think he's okay I don't I don't think he's he used to be terrible and he would get like, he would be like co commonly lampooned on like by the NBA Twitter sphere for like really dumb defensive plays. And he doesn't really do that so much anymore. Um, it still is mostly because he, he just gets lost off the ball sometimes, lets guys cut on him. It's, it's not all the time anymore, but it still happens sometimes. But I don't think it's enough I don't think he's a poor enough defender to take away from his offense, which is incredible. So you're putting over his offense a lot, and that's something that obviously he's an incredible offensive player. So would you trade him? Because like Jeff said, there's been trade rumors about him, but would you hold on to him or would you move him if the right deal came along? Well, I think there's a right deal for anybody. I mean, anybody that's not like LeBron, but mm – -hmm. So yeah, I'd, but I, I would think the right deal is going to be a lot. Um, so I, I don't see anybody offering the right deal for him, and I, I think they keep him. In terms of how, um, you know, just, just kind of shifting also into a Bulls conversation, uh, you know, Patrick Williams was a guy that received a lot of pre-draft hype. Um, I haven't watched a ton of him this year, but everything I've seen has been pretty impressive. From what I've seen, you know, it seems that people like what they see from him, the, the glimpses that he shows. He's still super young, but already has a very physically mature NBA body. Um, of that core that you have in Chicago right now, which is, you know, Zach, Patrick Williams, Wendell Carter Jr., Kobe White, um, maybe I'm forgetting a, a name or two here. Oh, Laurie Markinen, of course. Um, who do you think is really worth investing in? Of course, Zach already has the contract, but um, who else do you think is really worth investing in? And and who do you who do you want to be Bulls long term of that of that group that I just mentioned? Well, so definitely Zach. Um, I'm happy with Patrick Williams, very happy with him. So I, I would include him too. The other guys, I like Wendell Carter a lot. He's, he's had some struggles this year. He just got benched. Um, so he, last game was the first game he hadn't started, I think in his NBA career. Um, so he's going through a rough patch right now. Hopefully he comes out of it. The other guys, Kobe White, Laurie Markinen, they're young, too young to give up on but um, I wouldn't say either of them has proved themselves to be like a, a must-have member of the core. And what do you think about uh, Billy Donovan as a coach? Do you think that 
he is kind of a situational coach in the sense that, you know, he's very good for a young team, but maybe when the Bulls do kind of start to hit their peak, uh, they might need need another kind of leader to kind of guide them. Um, or, you know, what, what do you think about either his rotations or play calling, things of that nature? I just think Jim Boylan was just so awful. And it's just <laughs> like, it's just so refreshing to have a guy who knows how to coach, you know? It's, it's really hard for me to, to evaluate Billy Donovan because I'm comparing him to Jim Boylan. So it was just like, yeah, he didn't, he didn't install a punch clock to make guys punch in to come to practice. So he's amazing, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I'm happy with him. Yeah, I uh, Chip Chip will remember this too. Like, I mean, we had a, a guy who also writes for Hoops Habit. Yeah, Chris Jeter. Uh, yeah, Chris Jeter, and like, to a man, I feel like every Bulls fan that we talked to was just like, literally, physically and mentally, just disgusted with Jim Boylan. Like, literally, could not have any worse things to say about him. Um, and the punch clock thing is is definitely something that comes up a lot. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, Billy Donovan's been good for this for this young team. And it's funny, too, because as Knicks fans, we almost saw the same difference between Mike Miller and Dave, David Fisdale, right? Like once David Fisdale was fired, um, Mike Miller, who has essentially made his career in the G League, uh, we, we started praising the guy so much just because he's running like a drop coverage, um, which is, you know, something that most – NBA defenses are, are pretty used to, but yeah, he did what any other coach would have done. Right. Took over. <laughs> right. So we were just so pumped that he was just competent, you know, that we were just like, Oh, listen, maybe we'll give him an extension. Maybe we'll give yeah. him a four year deal. Who knows? Um, you know, but I think that's just, unfortunately what happens when you have somebody who's just like in over their head or just like really out of touch with the modern NBA or whatever it is, but Boylan and, and Fisdale, unfortunately kind of, um are lumped together in that class yeah um i'm trying to think of other bull stuff chip do you have um yeah i want to go back to levine for a second because there is the one thing that concerns me about levine and andrew can shed some light on this is his his net rating is super negative and his career overall but this year it's it's really low it's like minus seven so i i mean Andrew, you would know, like, why do you think that number is so bad this year? Is it because – does it have more to do with the, the lineups, the team that he's playing with? And because the number is overall for his career, he has a negative net rating. But he's played on bad teams, obviously. But this year, the Bulls are, you know, they're 17 and 20. So why do you think that number is so low? Yeah, so I think it does go to the lineups this year. Um, I think Zach Levine has really improved on defense, but the ratings, the defensive ratings of the Bulls with him in the game are terrible. And I think a lot of that is on Kobe White, who has been pretty poor defensively this year. They both start. They always play together. Bulls' backcourts are getting torched defensively. Um, But I think that's more on White than Levine. And the other thing is that – Thad Young wasn't starting. He, he started his first game last night, and he's been the Bulls' second-best player this year. He's been incredible. Um, and Zach Levine has been has a positive net rating when playing with Thad Young, but when he's not playing with Thad Young, it's, it's negative, and it's because Thad Young is getting replaced with guys who aren't playing as well. I saw you wrote about Thad Young. Can you talk about what you wrote and if you think he should be a part of the future or if you think they should move him? Yeah. A lot of Bulls fans don't want to move him. But anyway, what I was saying was that he he has really shown himself to be an incredible passer this year. And it was something that he hadn't really shown in his game before this year. Last year, Jim Boylan was having him play as a spot-up three-point shooter, um, which was not a good idea. He had a bad year. And this year, they're involving him. Uh, they're giving him the ball a lot. And he's making plays from the elbow and, like, on the short roll. And it's the type of plays that – we see every year in the playoffs where you have a really good guard in the playoffs. They're going to blitz you and take it out of his hands. And their big man then is going to have an advantage. He's going to play four on three. And if you're Draymond Green, like 
you're going to win in that scenario. But if you're, I brought up the Blazers specifically because Nurkic kept turning it over in that situation last year against the Lakers and they didn't do well. So it's like every team in the playoffs is going to run into a situation where they need a big man to pass. Thad Young can do it. Um, so he should be really valuable. The Bulls, I think he's going to help the Bulls, but I also don't think the Bulls are going to be a title contender next year or this year. And I don't think they're even really going to be a factor in the East playoffs. They might make it, but they're probably not going to make the second round. So I think they have to listen to offers. Um, I don't know what it'll take to get them. I think Portland is a team that would like them. I think Dallas would really like them too. There's a lot of teams I think that would love them. Yeah, he's just a, a total, yeah, a team that a perfect team for a competitor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, um, I, I also wanted to talk a little Tom Thibodeau here too. It, it's so funny to me, um, because as a guy who really loves analytics, you know, whether deservedly or, or unfairly, Tibbs has always kind of been perceived as the anti analytics coach. Um, you know, what, what, what do you love about Tibbs? What do you not love about Tibbs? And you can expand the conversation if you want to uh, Minnesota years, or uh, you could just keep it to Chicago. Well, I'll just say to start for analytics, like, I think people who are good with analytics, like also watch a lot of basketball, you know, and Tibbs teams, well, he, they did, they did tend to Um, not shoot a lot of threes, especially in Chicago. They were good at other analytics things. Like they had a great defense. They gave up the free throw line too. So I I don't think, I think a lot of analytics people would be pretty happy with Thibodeau's tenure in Chicago, at least maybe not Minnesota, but um, so I, I also think that it is really important that coaches get guys to play hard for them. Um. It's really tough to show that in analytics um, because you don't know what's going on in a locker room. But I've always believed that Thibodeau gets his guys to play for him um, and they really like playing for him. And that was the case in Chicago. And it seems to be the case in New York this year. And that's a really valuable thing. I think the other question um, that I had too, and it's it's something that's like far off. It's, It's not something that I think is of a primary concern now. But one thing I do worry about with Tibbs is just how much of a, how much does he wear on players just in general with his approach, his day-to-day intensity? Um, Because even in Minnesota, right, they made the playoffs his first year there. Um, But, you know, I do wonder how much of that, it seems like the Knicks have the right group of players to be a Tibbs team. Right. Like I, you, we have not heard anything about Tibbs beefing with any of the players, having issues with any of the young guys, you know, a la Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. Um, but, you know, we've heard a, a lot of positive stuff from the players, but I do wonder if, you know, year two um, that changes and, and kind of the Tibbs effect wears off, you know, where do you see that? Um, and I know it's possible that you may not have seen a lot of Knicks basketball this year, but, uh, do you have any thoughts on, on what that could be like, if there's a likelihood that that, uh, would happen or, or do you feel like Tibbs has kind of adjusted and and maybe changed in his, uh, you know, older age? Well, I will say one of the things that was true in Chicago is every year, like for the top five guys in the NBA in minutes played would be bulls. And I believe that's still true with the Knicks. So I don't think he's changed. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't know the personality of guys on the Knicks. I, in Chicago, that showed up more in terms of, like, those guys would be worn down. Um, like, Luol Deng had so many minutes by the time he retired, and he ended up falling off really early. Um, and I think it was just because of the wear and tear that he'd taken in his career. And yeah, I think that's probably gonna happen to some Knicks, but they're they're younger players, so they're probably farther off from wearing down, but you might have some injury issues. But all those guys think the world of tips, right? Like they yeah, they they yeah. like him. They like playing a lot and they tend they tend to like him. Like Luol Deng 
if you asked him about tips, he would give you positive reviews of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he played. He went back and played for him again in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he, all those guys who he allegedly ran into the ground would run through a wall for him. Right. Dang, Rose, Noah, like Taj Gibson, they all love the guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah, but definitely. A lot of these guys love playing for Tibbs, and he can get them really motivated. Um, but yeah, I do think the like wear and tear can have a, an effect on your team in terms of them just being like tired and injured. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a concern, especially with RJ Barrett because he's he's so young right now, and he's his minutes are down because Tibbs has been, or at least for a little while, was uh, kind of concerned about his. I guess maybe his defense or his decision. Well, his decision-making was poor RJ when he was driving, he was missing open guys, but he's been really good lately. So he's been playing in fourth quarters, but I think Randall is first in the NBA minutes per game right now. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, he's either first or second. So Randall is Randall's up there. Yeah. Yeah. But Andrew, you're right. He hasn't changed in terms of minutes. He's, you know, the, the Knicks five man lineup is the, uh, first at the last I checked was the number one most played lineup in the NBA. Yeah. So Tibbs is Tibbs is still going to be Tibbs in terms of his hard headedness. And that's like, I mean, this, they tried to spin this narrative that he was going to change a little bit. I guess they talked about how he viewed other teams practices during his time off and how he saw the, Yes, the Sloan Conference thing and how he v- saw the positives of load management. I remember laughing my ass off on this podcast about Tibbs, Tibbs's <laughs> positive comments on load management. That was so ridiculous. But look, he's, they're winning. They have the third-ranked defense in the NBA. So Tibbs is, Tibbs is still Tibbs, but Tibbs being Tibbs means having a top-five defense and winning. So I, I, I have no concerns other than too much Alfred Payton. Yeah, that's that's my only concern that he's being stubborn about Alfred Payton. Yeah, yeah. I also, um, I read an article. I think it was because Jeff recommended it, but it was on, it was by Ian Begley about like one of the things it mentioned was that Tibbs had was lobbying for personnel moves, including like trading R.J. Barrett for veteran help. Um, so I think you can't give Tibbs personnel control. I think that didn't work in Minnesota, um, mm. but they don't have it. So I do think that. I wanted to, him. yeah, I wanted to ask you, Andrew, because the the joke that Knicks fans always make on Twitter is about like Kirk Heinrich and how Tibbs wouldn't play Tony Snell back in the day or other young players. So do you remember, like, uh, being I don't know, being upset about Kirk Heinrich or other veterans getting minutes? In Chicago? Uh, not really. Yeah. Um, a lot of, like, so he played Rose, or I guess it was Vinny Del Negro who played Rose. By the time Tibbs was in Chicago, the Bulls were really good, so they were getting low picks. And I don't know, I wasn't going to be that upset about him not playing. And he did play Jimmy Butler when he was young, so the other guys weren't that good. Like, I wasn't going to be that upset about him not playing Marcus Teague, you know? Like, I was just not that good. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair for sure. Um, as we kind of wrap up, uh, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about your writing, and I also wanted to just kind of mix in um, just kind of some, some fun questions at the end, but um, just in terms of, of, of your writing and, and your goals for yourself, uh, is there anything, you know, analytics-based that you want to pursue in the future, whether it's um, a degree? I know you, you said that... Uh, I don't actually, I'm not hundred percent sure that you, what you said that you said it studied in college, but um, is there something that you want to pursue that's analytics based or, or um, writing about basketball for sure? Uh, where, where would, you know, a best case scenario, where would you see yourself in the next five years? Yeah. Um, I think best case scenario would be like, I had some sort of national gig writing um, like with analytics inclined stuff but um I do try to write for people who like I said like Zach Lowe who you know you you may think about analytics but not necessarily want to get too deep into the to the weeds of the math about it so I like I'm trying to 
to uh, to write that way. I also like am interested in working for a team as a data analyst. Um, so that's something that would be very, very cool to me as well. We all want to be Zach Lowe. We all yeah. love Zach Lowe. Yeah. I can't remember ever having a writer on here who didn't look up to Zach Lowe. Yeah. Like we all yeah. love Zach Lowe. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, b before we kind of finish up, um, you know, Chip and I, we, we had on our friend last week, we did a podcast, we talked all about some of the shows that TV shows that we've been watching or movies, especially during quarantine, uh, you got to have, you know, a pretty deep rotation of those. Um, so if, if you feel comfortable with it, if you could just share, you know, what's been heavy in your rotation in terms of Netflix, Hulu, whatever streaming service you enjoy, um, what's kind of been piquing your interest of, of lately? Uh, I mean, yeah, I've watched a lot of shows over quarantine. Um, <laughs> I guess lately, um, lately I've been watching Gilmore Girls because I wanted a heartwarming show, um, which it is. Oh. Um, yeah, I also, yeah, it's a good time. I, very underrated show. Very underrated. I, I'm glad Chip said that because I, I also remember, listen, there was a time and people, you know, this, there was a time when the WB was like really hot, you know, like the WB had all of, you know, some of the really good shows that were out there and uh, name, the, name those shows. What, what do you mean? Really hot. Okay. Um, I believe besides Gilmore, you, you, I think you had Smallville on there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Smallville was there. Um, if we want to go back farther, I think I'm older than, than both you guys. I know I'm older than Chip. But I'm, not, I'm not sure how much older I am than Andrew. But if we want to go Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if you want to go really deep, I think that was also a WB production. Were, were Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Gilmore Girls on at the same time now? No, not at all. Yeah. At all. Okay. It was a solid, there was a solid probably three, four year gap between that. But still, like I said, there, were, there was a period where the WB was hot. Like, I, I think it was, there was a good amount of shows that people in their early, late, you know, mid-teens were watching on a regular basis. But anyway, to go back to Gilmore Girls, um, I do. <laughs> I never thought we'd say that on this no, But there's a first shit. time for everything. I'm, I'm, glad we're, I'm glad we're here. Because I, do remember, I do remember, yo, what, what was the, girl's, the lead girl's name? To go back to Lorelai. To go Lorelei back to Lorelai and Luke. <laughs> yeah, wait, what was uh, uh, Lorelai, Luke, and... Oh, no, no, Lorelai and Luke were the older couple. Yeah, Rory. What, what was the girl's name? The daughter. Rory, Rory. Okay, so Rory, Rory, Jesse, and who was the other dude that, that she liked? The guy with... Jesse. Jesse was... Jesse is the dude that... He's on... Um, he's on that, that, good, that show on NBC now. Um... What? Oh my God, man! How am I blank? Oh, I don't know who you're talking about. I, the her boyfriend is. Uh, there was two guys that she was going. Dean, Dean. It was right. Andrew is Jesse and Dean that she no was idea. back and forth between. I'm still no? early. It's Dean right now. Oh, uh, so all right. There's a bad boy that eventually comes into it with with a you know his his whole leather jacket routine, and uh, he he's like a really clever slick talker. And he kind of, um, you know, catches Rory's eye. That that'll be something that I think we're interested in for sure. Um, anything besides besides that that, uh, that you've been into? I don't think we're topping small uh, Smallville because she's a Smallville. Mm -hmm. never yeah. seen. I don't uh, think we're topping um, girls either. I just watched <laughs> what we do in the shadows. Really liked it. Really yeah, funny. I wanted to see that. That's an FX show, right? Andrew, right? That's an FX show. I think we lost him. No. Andrew, are you there? Our guy, Andrew, no. Are you uh, there? That's too bad. That's all right. Um, well, he may he, he may come back in. Um, what did he, what we do in the shadows? Is that what he said? Yeah. So it's, it's like, I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a vampire show. Um, but it's like it's a comedy. I think it's like a satire and a comedy. And oh and, yeah, I've seen that. I've yeah, seen that. Yeah, I uh, I it, listen. It's gotten like really good reviews. Like a lot of people like it. A lot of people think it's really funny. It's like mockumentary style. Like they shoot it like The Office. Right. I I think it's something like that. 
yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, but listen, that, that is, that is a first for this show. Uh, we, we, we definitely, we did a deep dive on Gilmore Girls on the Hoops Addicts Anonymous podcast. Could have gone deeper, I feel like. I think, I think you're right. I think we could have. Um, I think, I think that's fair to say. I feel like who does Rory, who should Rory end up with? I feel like we could have that conversation. We definitely could. <laughs> we definitely could. I think that, you know, I'm probably partial to uh, Jesse. Chip, I'm not sure if you share this. I guy. don't think that's the guy's name. I think it is. All right, hold on. All right, listen, listen. It's my sister's favorite show of all time. Fine, fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this right now because we, we certainly have the time. So uh we we will do this. So hold on right now. I'm gonna go Gilmore Girls cast. And uh and I'm gonna find the dude's actual name as well. We're Googling on a right, podcast. So First off, it is Jesse. And- no shit, really? Yeah, so the 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 actor's name. So Dean is Jared Padalecki. He was also, I think he was also in Super Smallville. He's Smallville, or not Smallville, Supernatural. Yes, yes, he was in Supernatural. And then Milo Ventimiglia is Jesse. And Milo, he is a star on uh, This Is Us, I think. Or no, Parenthood. One of those shows on NBC that is very. No, this is Us. He's on. This is so us. he's on This Is Us. So he's a big actor. So it was, I know that for a fact. No, it's Jess. His name's Jess. I mean, bro, come on. I, it's, it's, I knew it wasn't Jesse. No, it's, listen, you, you're you going to come at me for a letter? Like, yes. <laughs> dude, please. You didn't even, you didn't even know the name. Well, I looked it up. I, first off, I told you it was on WB. And I you looked it up and still said no, Jesse. No, 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 <laughs> dude. Listen, listen. I gave you, I gave you the network in which the show is played. I'm pretty sure I even gave you the time period, the gap between that and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm looking that up too because I don't know if you're wrong about that too. Go for it. Go for it. Listen. Let me see if I can. Uh, let me see if I can get our guy Andrew. Andrew, are you there, bud? Yeah, I'm back. Oh, <laughs> Andrew's hanging. Andrew in the chat just letting me and Chip go on about Gilmore Girls. You gotta love it. Uh, yeah, of course. I'm a guest here. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, Andrew. No, it's I'm fired up over Gilmore Girls. We did. We just we that 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 was a a, a classic Chip and Jeff and Chip back and forth um, <laughs> over Gilmore Girls, which is definitely a first for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I was talking, we, we did the episode previously and I was talking a lot about Ted Lasso, which is on Apple TV and. Um, oh, I loved that too. Yeah, that was it's a really great show. Snowfall on FX is, is something that I'm really into, but I have to say uh, the show that I've been absolutely hooked and I finished within two days is Last Chance You, the basketball edition on Netflix. Uh, anybody who's listening to this and, you know, could not care less what I think or say about basketball in general, just you, you need to know that I'm right on this. Last Chance You, basketball is one of the best docuseries I've ever seen on Netflix. It was really good. I think um, the portrayal of, of the Juco scene is honest. Uh, the coach is I- extremely engaging. The players are extremely engaging. Um, I think it was, it was just great. And it's eight episodes. Most of them are 40 to 50 minutes. And like, you know, if you just love watching, you know, basketball at a youth level, kids really trying hard to achieve a goal, a lot of obstacles in, in, you know, people's way. It it was, it was great. I thought it was really good. Um, so that's, that's my recommendation, you know, that I kind of left off the list from, uh, last week. Yeah, you said that's a good one. You said you like the coach too. You were retweeting oh, the coach from that one. Everybody likes him. Yeah, he's like I, a popular guy right now. I love, I love the dude, and I think some of the things that he said. He's listen. I'm not gonna lie. He's a little, he, he a little, little, little over the top, you know, with some of the stuff. If if you watch the show, but I think some of the, the things that he says about his philosophy when it comes to just like being a leader, you know, um, I think it's it's just you know. For someone who works in a school, someone who works with, with kids, like some of the stuff really resonated with me for sure. Um, but um, say all that to say, 
you know, as we kind of wrap up and, and end here, uh, Andrew just wanted to uh, give you a chance to tell anyone who is listening where they can find you on Twitter. If there's anything that you're working on right now and you want to promote, um, please do so. Uh, and it was absolutely fantastic having you on our podcast tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, my work's at the Playgrounder. Um, sometimes I do bloggable, um, which is the SB Nation Bulls site, doing fan posts there, trying to get on the um, featured staff there. Um, and yeah, I'm on Twitter too. Awesome. And the quick breaking news for any Knicks fan out there, mm-hmm. Chip just found this out as well. Emmanuel quickly is getting his first start in the NBA tonight against the Brooklyn Nets. So I'm sure we're all going to be excited for that. Tibbs playing young guys. Yeah. I know. Where did this Tibbs hates rookies narrative get started? Getting better in year two under Tibbs. Uh, Manual quickly shooting the lights out. Like, yeah, who would have thought it? Can I give my quick TV recommendation before we sign off here? Absolutely. I'm totally late on it, but I don't know why the Tiger Woods documentary didn't get more press for HBO Max. It's, It's awesome. I'm a huge Tiger Woods fan. It's you should everybody, even if you're not a Tiger fan, even if you're not a golf fan, like check it out. It's the rise and fall of Tiger Woods. It it really focuses on his relationship with his dad when he's young and then how popular he gets and obviously his fall and the, obviously the big get the big reveal in the trailer for the documentary is that they interview his uh, mistress, the nightclub woman that uh I think the New York Post wrote a whole story about her originally, Rachel Yucatel, but it's it's really, really good. And it it has all these interviews with people that used to be in his life, I guess. It's it's very entertaining and everybody should check that one out. It's it's only two uh episodes technically. I think they're both like an hour and a half, but it's on HBO Max. It's very good. Well, that will definitely be on my list for sure. And I'm also a little upset that I haven't seen that already. Mm-hmm. Um but listen, as always, once again, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, absolute pleasure talking with you. Please, anyone out there, if you like analytics at all, if you just like good NBA writing, please follow Andrew. As soon as he was brought onto the Playgrounder, it literally took me like one or two articles to know that this dude has serious talent. Um, so please read him at the Playgrounder. Follow him on Twitter. For anybody that is listening, we hope you guys are staying safe and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.